teacher went into the fourth grade class and she asked, do you know the parables? And there was a chorus of, yes, we know the parables. And so then the next question had a little bit of a pause before anybody answered as the teacher said, which one is your favorite parable? I was that thinking. And then finally one little boy's hand shot up and he says, I like the one where everybody loafs and fishes. Now there's a lot wrong with that little boy's answer. You understand that even though the miracles are wonderful, wonderful stories, they're not parables. And he kind of mixed his miracle story up a little bit too. It is interesting to note that even when Jesus told the parables, and even still today, we find many of us that don't really understand the parables. Do you realize that if you and I do not understand the parables of Jesus, we miss out on one-third of the teachings of Jesus Christ in the Scripture? It is important for us to slow down and to dig deeper and to make sure that we do understand the parables. As we think about the text that was so capably read just a few moments ago, Jesus had just told the parable of the sower and his disciples, even his closest. And and I say that and emphasize that just maybe to make us all comfortable with the fact that if someone's here this morning and says, I really don't understand the parables. Friends, the parables are something that we have to learn. And so if you're just joining in a study of the Bible for the first time in your life, or if you are just now taking it serious for the first time in your life, Don't feel so distant from, hey, I don't understand the parables. Even Jesus' disciples most of the time didn't understand the parables when they first heard them. And so they even asked Jesus, what does this parable mean? And you know what is interesting is he goes back and he quotes Isaiah, the sixth chapter, to help them understand why he taught in that way. I hope you'll turn with me to Acts, I'm sorry, Isaiah, the sixth chapter. It's on page 609 in the Bible that's in your pew, or you can also read along on the screens. And let's notice this teaching. Some of you may recall that Isaiah, the sixth chapter, is that beautiful passage where Isaiah is shown a vision and he sees the Lord on a throne high and lifted up and everyone in that vision is worshiping God on that throne. And it is in that setting that he realizes how sinful he is and we have that symbolic cleansing in that vision. And then the Lord asks, who will I send and who will go for me? And Isaiah says, here I am, Lord. Send me. Now it is in response to him saying, Lord, I want you to send me, that we have Isaiah, the sixth chapter, verse 9 and 10. In other words, God was preparing Isaiah for the fact that here's the kind of audience you're going to go to. Let's read this in verse 9. And he said, Go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. God was preparing Isaiah for the fact that he was going to go to audiences and many of the ones that literally would hear his voice would not really hear the message. They wouldn't understand it. They would see the work of God just like others that are believers would see the work of God, but they wouldn't see it with the same perception. They wouldn't appreciate it. They wouldn't praise God for it. 
And do you realize that that is the reason that this is one of the very, very important prophecies that's quoted or referred to in the New Testament five times? Look at this next slide as we think about the five times. All four Gospels have this prophecy referred to. We have it as is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke with the text that we're studying this morning where they said, as Jesus told the parable of the sower, we don't don't understand why you're teaching us like this. What does that parable mean? Now pause here for just a moment. Think about it. They would have known what it meant to go out and sow, sow seeds. What they would not have understood was what is the spiritual message for us to get out of this earthly story. They understood the earthly story. They didn't understand the spiritual message. There's another time in the book of John that this passage is referred to. And you remember a couple weeks ago when we studied the miracles and we talked about that the miracles were signs to see God? It was in that setting where John is talking about the miracles that Jesus did and the people couldn't see God in the, in the miracles. Now, if you and I are believers, I mean, really, we would shrug our shoulders and say, how could somebody not see God through the miracles? He goes back. John goes back and quotes Isaiah to say, see, God said that there would be people that would see and not understand. They would, they would, uh, I'm sorry, they would see but not perceive. They would hear but not understand. Paul used the very same prophecy at the very end of the book of Acts. There were Jews that still were not understanding the fact that Gentiles were invited into the church. They were invited into the kingdom. And it's almost as if Paul throws up his hands to say what Isaiah said back in Isaiah 6, 9, and 10 is the exact problem that you Jews are still having today. If you would open your ears and just understand. If you'd open your eyes and just perceive. But the problem is, he was speaking to an audience where many of them were longing for some transformation in their life. They were longing for something spiritual. And so when they would hear and they would see God's message and God's works, they would grow spiritually. But there were others in the audience who they looked at God as as just a a, a religious symbol. They looked at God as just a religion. In other words, maybe He was something they did on the Sabbath, or maybe He was something they did on Sunday. But God was not involved in their life in the sense of growing them, of transforming their lives. In other words, if I were to say to you this morning, how many of you are here this morning, and I know none of us would probably want to answer this this bluntly, but if, if we said, how many are here this morning because it's just a good habit that you're in? But it really doesn't have anything to do with how you live during the middle of the week. Or how many of you are here because you know that you want your children to stay out of trouble and so you believe that if you raise them going to church, they'll stay out of trouble. But you don't really have any intentions of what we studied this morning, transforming your life. You see, there's always been that struggle where people would be willing to listen to the spiritual teaching, but they wanted earthly application only. And then there would be others that they wanted to hear the spiritual teaching because they wanted to grow spiritually. The two are going to do different things with the very same message. For example, when we go back to Luke the 8th chapter, 
You notice in verse four, that parable is taught. That's what he says at the end of verse four, that it is a parable. He talks in verse five about the sower. This is on 914. The Bible is in your pew. And then when they ask, what does this parable mean in nine? I want you to notice again how Jesus refers to Isaiah. But notice how he refers to two groups of people in verse 10. He said, to you, it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. In other words, these are the disciples that their heart is more honest. And so he's saying to them, I tell you why I speak in, in this parable. You're going to know the word mystery just meant that that was unknown, that once it's revealed, it will become known to you. And so he says, I'm trying to teach you more about the kingdom of God. And you are actually going to learn a lot more about the kingdom of God because of these parables that I teach. But not everybody that hears these parables is going to have that same result. Look at the rest of verse 10. But to the rest, it is given in parables that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now, did you get that? Jesus, why are you teaching us in this parable? What does it mean? I'm teaching you in this parable so you'll have a greater understanding of the kingdom. I'm also teaching this parable realizing that there's going to be a whole other audience. They don't have any understanding of what's taking place. Their ears are dull. Their eyes are shut. You know, when you think about the sun, isn't it interesting that the sun shines down upon ice and it melts it, but yet that same sun shines down on pliable clay and hardens it? Isn't it interesting that the same sun can have such drastic effects? They're so different. Isn't it interesting that in a vast audience, you can have the message of Jesus Christ, but yet it has totally different effects upon different ones in the audience. Friends, the Lord told parables realizing that for some it was going to reveal truths about the kingdom of heaven, and He also told parables realizing for some it was going to conceal the truth. But what are parables? I'd like to offer to you just a few simple things about parables. And some of these facts and a lot of other things, you'll study a lot deeper in just a few moments in your Bible classes. But as we think about parables, I'd like for you to think about this simple fact. Parables are not based on true stories, but they are based on real life. Did you know that a parable, the word parable literally is, it's not a translation where we have the original Greek word and then we look for an English word that translates that word. It is a transliteration. It's where we just bring over that original Greek word and we make an English word that sounds a whole lot like it. In the Greek, it would be parable. And now, of course, in English, we call it parable. What did parable mean? It literally means to cast alongside. Here is real life. Jesus told parables to cast a story along beside real life so individuals could understand how better to live that real life. It's not a story about an event that really took place. It's a story to help us understand things in life that are really taking place. For example, that's why you read in parables without specifics like individuals' names. 
Because a parable is not about a specific individual. That's why I'll never believe that, that Luke the 16th chapter is a parable where the rich man and Lazarus, individuals aren't named in parables because parables are not about actual individuals, true events. Parables are stories to cast along beside real life. You know, one of the greatest ways to understand this is just to go back one page in your Bible, back to Luke the 7th chapter. Now, as we're doing this, I just want to throw this out just for, for clarity's sake. I believe that every time Jesus told a parable, there was a real life situation taking place that helped individuals understand it. But it's not always recorded in the scripture. Luke the 7th chapter is a wonderful passage to study on this because we do have revealed for us what the real story was. In other words, if I were to tell you today, hey, there's a wonderful parable about a debtor. And there were two debtors. There was one creditor. And the creditor decided to forgive both debtors. Which one loved him the most? It was the one who had the most borrowed from him. And then if I just told you that parable, then I said, what do you think that means? Well, we probably could walk away with a lot of understandings of that parable. But do you know what? If we know the story of real life that that parable was laid beside, we're going to walk away with a much better understanding. So think with me for just a moment. What is this story that was taking place in real life? What was the real life story? Let's look at the 36th verse of Luke, the seventh chapter. There was a Pharisee named Simon. He invited Jesus to eat with him. And when he did enter into his house in 37, a woman in the city who was a sinner... And she knew that Jesus sat at the table of the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. And she sat behind Jesus and she took her weeping tears and she washed his feet and she wiped her, her, his feet with her hair and she kissed his feet and she anointed it with fragrant oil. And 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke within himself saying, talking about Jesus, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now, as we look at this artist's rendering, you see that a, a very common way for them to, to lounge in their day and time was to usually be on their side, and oftentimes their feet would be kicked behind them. And so this Pharisee, keep in mind the Pharisees had a reputation of being arrogant, self-righteous individuals. And so this Pharisee wants to invite Jesus into his house. He did not treat Jesus with any dignity or honor. He didn't do any of the things that you would normally do to someone that you respected. You'd invite them into the house. You'd give them the holy kiss, the greeting. You would, uh, you would wash their feet. All of these things would have been very common. He didn't do any of those things, but yet lo and behold, here comes a woman from the city. She had a reputation of being a great sinner. From that, many assume maybe she was a prostitute. We do not know. We simply know she was a great sinner. And she walks behind Jesus. And she, because of her great love and appreciation for Jesus, she begins to cry over his feet and uses her hair to wash his feet and takes this expensive oil and, and she anoints not his head, but his feet. Do you see that real live story? Here's this self-righteous Pharisee that's saying within himself, if he really was a prophet, he wouldn't let a woman like that touch him at all. Why? Because we're too good. We're too good to let sinners touch us. 
now. Let's think about point number two. Parables are stories that serve as windows to look through so that we can better see God. We can better understand spiritual truths. But also, parables are oftentimes mirrors to help us see ourselves better. And you know, sometimes when we really get serious about studying the parables, we don't like the mirror we're looking in because what we see is that our life differs quite a bit from the parables sometimes. And so Jesus is going to share a parable with this man. Now keep in mind, he's going to have to decide if he's going to have ears and eyes to see and to hear it. But if he does have the, the eyes that are open and the ears that are open, what he's going to find out is that the Lord is speaking to him. Jesus is saying to him, I want you to look in through this window and I want you to see some spiritual truths. God loves sinners. I also want you to see in this mirror, I want you to see how different you are from God. Something's wrong when I'm so different from God. I ought to be like God. If God loves sinners and wants to forgive sinners, I ought to be willing to love sinners and forgive sinners. And I also need to be humble enough to realize that we all are sinners. And if I'm saved today, it's not because I've never been a big sinner. It's because the grace of God has saved me. And that's what he wanted this self-righteous Pharisee to see. So how's he going to teach this lesson to him? Well, he could have just sat down and said, let's talk about some doctrine. You know what's interesting? Instead, he chose to tell a parable. Parables don't introduce new doctrine. Parables reinforce doctrine. And so he takes some things that this man should have already known. And he says, let's look at it in this sense. Look with me, if you will, to the seventh chapter, verse 40 through 42, and notice this parable. It's this short. Therefore, or there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Now, that's the story. Now, he follows the parable with this question. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Do you see how that parable was a window? Do you see how it was a mirror? Do you see how Jesus puts this man on the spot? I want to know what you think. And then the man answers him in 43, and he says, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said, you have rightly judged. And then he shows the man what he had done in 44, how he had offered no water to wash his feet, but yet this woman did with her tears. He had offered, he implies here, no towel, but this woman, it says, used her hair. He implies that, that, or says that you didn't kiss me, but yet this woman's not stopped kissing my feet. He did not anoint Jesus' head, but this woman hasn't stopped anointing his feet. Do you see what he's teaching this man? And then he says in 47, Therefore I say to you, her sins, this is what he's saying to the woman, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And turning to her, says, your sins are forgiven. And later in 50, he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Friends, the third and final point I want you to see this morning from the passage we just read, and that is parables are stories that are so informative. Oftentimes in just a story format, they are so informative, but also they are so blunt, and also 
They are so honest. Let's go to the next slide. Notice they are polarizing. Friends, as as we think about parables, think about that. If you really listen to a parable, the Lord's going to shoot you as straight as you can be shot. You will find yourself either exactly where God wants you to be, or in that parable, you'll find yourself not what God wants you to be. As we extend the invitation, I'd like for you to think about this fact. As we think about some of the most well-known parables in the Scriptures. The sower. As you look at the sower, are you good soil? It's not really a middle ground, is it? It's polarizing. We either are or we aren't. The good Samaritan. It doesn't matter if you're religious you can still not have compassion. This parable is told to ask, do you have compassion? The prodigal son, have you come home? We're either home or we're not. Or once individuals come home, are we like the brother that stands out the back and judges? We find out where we stand in parables. The lost sheep. We have individuals in this congregation by the hundreds that aren't faithful. If you've been here long, You know there are individuals that aren't here that should be. Have you made any contact whatsoever? The lost sheep makes it real clear. We're either looking for the lost or we're not looking for the lost. There's really no middle ground. The talents. We either use the abilities and the resources God gives us in His service or we don't. And the ones that don't, the talents, He says, you're a wicked and slothful servant. Be cast into outer darkness. The wise builder. We're either building on the Lord Jesus Christ and we're building a life that will endure now and into eternity or we're not. And it won't endure now into eternity. In the story of the ten virgins, five were ready for the return of the bridegroom. Five were not ready. They either were or they weren't ready. This morning I ask you, where does that leave you? Isn't it wonderful? That the Lord just shoots straight with us. I don't know about you, and I don't know if it's me aging or becoming impatient or becoming more mature. I don't know exactly what it is, but I am getting so fed up with double talk. This idea, let's just say whatever we think everybody wants to hear. I am so thankful that I serve a God who just tells me like it is. He tells us what's right, and He doesn't apologize for saying what's right. He just invites us to come to that side of righteousness. He knows that we're not perfect, and that's where His grace and His mercy reaches out and and invites us to come over to His side. But friends, there are many things we can learn from parables. But one of the things we learn is that Jesus was very blunt. He lets us know where we stand. And after He would tell that, He then would offer the invitation for individuals, if they are not where they ought to be, to change. It's by His grace and His goodness that we can change. We can be transformed. It's for those that have ears that want to understand. They have eyes that they want to perceive. 
And so the question that I ask you this morning is, where do the parables leave you? Do they leave you saying, I need to change? I want to be more like the Lord. If so, we're about to sing a song of encouragement. It's the Lord's invitation that we offer. It's the offer to come and to move closer to God, if that's what you need to do. If you've never become a child of His, as a believer, would you come forward confessing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, being willing to repent of sins and be immersed into Christ for the remission of those sins, to rise out of that watery grave as a new creation, one that truly wants to serve God, a life that's transformed. Maybe you look at your life and you realize that a lot of the stories that Jesus told, when they are laid down beside your life, you see a mirror that's not consistent. And you want to change that. You want to repent and confess sin and pray forgiveness. If we can help in any way, come as we stand as we sing.